0: I'll try to, try to keep my thoughts as tight as possible, and it's on the gospel, so whoever would save their life must lose it, and uh, whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. So this great gospel line, um, which is, you know, not obviously, literally apparent. What do you mean? You save your life, you lose it. You lose your life, you save it. Obviously, Jesus is using the word life in a different way, in the two sides of each sentence. So save Life which means what, and, and lose life which means what, becomes the question. What does he mean by the word life, and is he meaning two different things? And certainly the, uh, the, the, the long tradition of Christian interpretation has been that the life that you must lose is your earthly, unspiritual life, and the life that you would gain is your spiritual life. And what the earthly and unspiritual life looks like and what the spiritual life looks like is the subject of great debate, but that's essentially what we're talking about. That that there's a fundamental incompatibility between the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit, to use Paul's language, or the unspiritual life and the spiritual life. The life of, of disobedience, the life of obedience, the life of of a lack of faith, the life of faith. So there's a fundamental struggle between these two and you can't have it both ways. So you have to give up one. So what you think of as your life has to go in order for you to gain what really is your life. Now my, my thoughts this morning are interpreting that through the lens of the second reading. So I'm taking the second reading and using it as the, the glasses by which we read the gospel reading. And the second reading is Paul reflecting on the difference between law and faith. There is a there's a a, a a religious life that is built on law that Paul experienced, and that it was it was okay, but it was missing the fundamental point. Paul's experience of his life as trying to be Uh, a, a good follower of the law of Moses was fundamentally missing something and he didn't even know what it was missing until he encountered Christ. And once he encountered Christ he discovered faith, he discovered relationship, he discovered an encounter with the living God which transformed everything for Paul. And so Paul spent the rest of his his theological life trying to work out the relationship between the God that he had met through the law of Moses however imperfectly, and, the, and the, the faith that he had discovered in Christ and what the implications were for Jews and for non-Jews who were all becoming disciples of Christ. And um, this approach to religiosity that is based in law... Uh, is not, I I want to say, that it's not endemic to Judaism per se. Because when you take the Old Testament seriously, and when you read it carefully, you see that the law is a way of life. It is a gift. It is not a curse. Paul's experience of it was decidedly mixed, but the intention underneath it was that it was intended to be a gift. It was a way of living that led to life and blessing and abundance. And if you didn't have this set of guidelines for your life, then you will waste away. You will not be blessed. You will be cursed. So the movement from the lack of law to the gift of the law is a good movement, and even Paul recognized that. He talked about that. And I would talk about that in in developmental terms, that, that without guidelines, without laws, without rules, without principles by which you live your life, you become enslaved to the forces of desire and fear and it's just the human condition. You want stuff, and you're afraid of stuff, and those become the guiding principles of your life. You just want to be happy, and so you do what makes you feel good. And usually what makes you feel good in the short term is not good in the long term. And so um, a more enlightened life involves sacrifice. You sacrifice immediate pleasure and running away from immediate pain in order for long-term health and well-being. And this is true with personal health, with finances, with all kinds of practical stuff that you want want to teach your kids, don't go for the easy, easy fixes. Take the long view, make sacrifices now in order for the payoffs to come in the long run. So the law is better than no law. The problem that Paul encountered after you know a thousand, two thousand years of the Jewish tradition having matured is that the law itself had become uh, dominant so that instead of being enslaved by desire and fear, you now became enslaved by pride and shame. That you wanted to be a good follower of the law so that you could be proud that you were getting it all right. That you, you had it. You understood the law. You followed the law. You were righteous in the eyes of the law. But of course, the problem with that is that the law is hard to keep all the time. So you keep falling off from the righteous path and then you feel ashamed. Or even worse, you become shamed. You're not a good Jew. You're not following the law. You need to be shunned. And so on, and so Paul's experience of the law was this, this secondary trap of pride and shame, and it still fell short of the full encounter with God. Now, Christianity is 2,000 years old, give or take, and there is a law-based Christian spirituality that exists to this day and is in all of us um, that that when we are raised Christian, particularly, we are told what a good person is and Christianity becomes a framework for what goodness looks like and what evil looks like and what we want our kids to be like. So as a parent raising my own kids, I wanted them not only to be you know, citizens and successful, but I wanted them to have moral character. And that moral character, the framework for that moral character, was provided by my Christianity. That good moral character is someone that cares for others, that loves their neighbour as their self. So that's the second level of what I wanted for them, and so I would teach them, do this, don't do that. And when they're very small, they don't really have abstract reasoning, so you just go, stop it, don't hit your sister, don't do it, or you'll get in trouble. And he'll figure out later that hitting is not good in the long term and for lots of philosophical reasons. But when you're five years old, you just need to know that dad's going to be mad if I hit my sister. So I programmed my son not to hit his sister because he wants me to be happy with him and doesn't want me to be unhappy with him. And so I gave him a law-based faith. And that 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 goes from there into our adult faith. So that for many of us, our adult faith is wanting God to be happy with us like a parent would be and feeling ashamed if God would not be happy with us. And so we get that law-based Christian spirituality. And Paul challenges us to go beyond that to a faith-based Christian spirituality. Now, back to the gospel. This business of denying yourself and taking up your cross is precisely where that law-based Christian spirituality can tangle us up. Where we can say, oh, we 're good Christians, we need to sacrifice, we, we, you know we can 't be living for ourselves, we have to live for others, and we don 't want to be ashamed of ourselves in our faith, and so on and so forth, and entire churches are organized around this. I mean the joke for you know Calvinists is that you wouldn't want God to catch you having fun because that's you know that's, the, that's what you 're not supposed to do ever is have any fun and I, I, you know i wouldn 't go so far um, but a, but I wouldn't throw out the, the gospel today either. Yes, Christian life involves sacrifice. It involves taking up your cross. It involves letting go of the false life, the false self. And that does, in the short term, feel like giving stuff up. But in the long run, it feels like freedom. So, so but, the, but I could just be stuck at the level of law, at the level of pride and shame. So where Paul pushes us is to say, can we have that kind of... Ethic, faith, understanding of good and evil, willingness to sacrifice for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of God. But can we do it from a perspective of faith rather than law? Can we do it from an attitude of trust in God? Because the attitude changes everything. Paul himself was doing it from a law-based foundation, which caused him to be full of self-righteousness and do damage to others. And that, of course, is the ultimate problem with law-based faith is that that business of pride and shame requires us to pull others into that paradigm, and we start to do violence to others when they don't conform to our understanding of what the law is, whereas a law as an approach to sacrifice and carrying the cross that is based on trust in God is a fundamentally different orientation. It looks kind of the same because you still don't do stuff that is not good to do, but you don't do that because you trust that God will be part of the blessing and of course at a certain point you get into these, um, uh, these positive feedback loops that it's, it ceases to be as much about trust and faith and more about experience. That the more you live into the new paradigm, the more you encounter the blessings that were promised to Abraham in the first place that you will prosper and you will be blessed and you'll be a great nation and so on. That the greatness of the nation, the blessing, the the being a a child of Abraham is a a way of life that is uh, profoundly and uh, fundamentally different than we could achieve on our own. So without sacrifice, we cannot get to blessing. But we can't stop at, oh, I have to be a sacrificial person because otherwise I'll be ashamed of myself. We still haven't got quite far enough but that, that faith-based approach to sacrifice, that understanding that I've set aside that way because that way ultimately is not to my own good. My own good rests on this other way, which is built on love, on trust. Essentially, it brings me right back, as it always does, to the two commandments, to love God and love neighbor. And if we base our life on the love of God and the love of neighbor, everything is fundamentally changed. And this message is eternal. This is something that is why I believe the Christian faith continues to be relevant today and will be relevant 100 years in the future, which is why a lot of our work this last year has been trying to build a foundation for this parish to be around for a good long time. I don't think we're going anywhere as a Christian faith. Now, I think we could disappear if we lose our focus, if we're not doing what we're called to do. But if we are grounded in the faith that Paul calls us to, that living relationship with God which transforms everything and makes our sacrifices sacrifices that are joyful, then it is a way of life that is inherently attractive because it is inherently blessed. And we do it in community, that we need each other to support us on this way because it's pretty lonely to making these sacrifices and caring for others um, if you're the only one in the room doing it. And the great blessing of a Christian community is that we're all trying to do it, as imperfectly as that may be. So we stumble, we fall, we go back to the old ways, we apologize, we confess, we get back up, we do it again. And that creates a qualitatively different community than would be possible any other way. And that, for me, is my hope for the future and my confidence that there's a lot more life in this congregation, in Anglicanism and in Christianity as a whole.